Beloved congregation of the Lord, you know that in the Old Testament, the Lord had three types of offices, the prophets and the priests and the kings. Now the kings most often, their kingship was passed from father to son. You read over and over in the books of Kings and Chronicles that his son reigned in his stead. And from the priests, we know that it was passed from generation to generation in the tribe of, of Levi. But with prophets, that was not so. The Lord raised up many prophets, and, and most of them were not even closely related to each other. That's also the case with the prophets Elijah and Elisha. The Lord had his prophet of the day and that that person would die and he would raise up another one in his place. And, and we see that happening here in our text this morning from 2 Kings chapter 2. When you read that whole chapter, you know that Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. It was a chariot and, and horses of fire came and separated him from Elisha and how Elisha took up the mantle of Elijah children that mantle that was like the prophet's uniform his mantle and and now Elisha had it and why did Elisha get it why not somebody else wouldn't there been have been somebody else maybe who could have taken that no because Elijah had already anointed Elisha a long time ago back in chapter 19 of 1st Kings you can read that um, Elijah found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. So here's this, this farmer, Elisha, out plowing the field. And along comes Elijah and does the strangest thing. He takes his, his mantle off, his coat, and he, and he throws it on Elisha's back. And Elisha knew right away what that meant. He didn't just wake up one morning and say, well, from now on, I'm going to be a prophet. No, the Lord came first in Elisha's life. And, and so Elisha's ministry begins with the Lord because the Lord begins with Elisha. With his divine calling. From the very beginning of, of his official prophetic work for Elisha, this is true. The Lord is central in my life. The Lord is central in my ministry. And you know that the work of the Lord is never separated from the word of the Lord. It's never separated from the Holy Spirit of the Lord. That, that's how it continues to this very day. The Lord reveals himself in his holy word and he works in people by his word and Holy Spirit. Elijah's gone, but the prophet office still remains. Elisha takes over. And you know that those Old Testament prophets were all types of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, who is the focus of the whole Old Testament. It's a beautiful thing in Old Testament names. You find it so often. So the name of Elijah in Hebrew means, my God is Jehovah. Children, can you remember that? The name of Elijah means, my God is Jehovah. And the name of Elisha means, my God is salvation. So you have, my God is Jehovah, my God is salvation. If you put that together, 
then you have my God is Jehovah salvation. And that's the definition of the name Jesus. Jehovah salvation. So you know that Jesus is going to be prominent in the work that the prophets do. We'll see that this morning too. Well, Elisha took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen off of him when he was taken into heaven. And he goes back to the river Jordan and he strikes the water of the river with that mantle. And he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And if you think of that question, then you know that what Elisha is thinking. I don't need Elijah to come back. I need the God of Elijah. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He needs Jehovah, the God of Elijah. When he had struck the water also, the water was divided to one side and the other, and Elisha crossed over. So he had his answer, didn't he? His question was, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And it's as if the Lord says, I'm right here, Elisha. I'm with you. Cross on over. I am with you in your work. Well, it's what we're looking at this morning, the, the beginning of Elisha's ministry. And we will see together that he, de- he begins his ministry dependent on the Spirit of the Lord and proclaiming the word of the Lord and being salt of the earth. He begins his ministry dependent on the Spirit of the Lord. And he knew that he needed that spirit even before Elijah is taken away from him. Back in verse 9, Elijah says to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away from you. And and Elisha asks for this wonderful thing. He says, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And Elijah says, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if, if you see me when I'm taken away from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So if, if, if Elisha saw Elijah when he was taken up in that whirlwind, he would receive a double portion of the Holy Spirit. But if he didn't see it, then he wouldn't receive that. But, but we know from the Bible that Elisha saw it. And we know then that he received the spirit of Elijah. And then... The people around there knew it too. Verse 15, the the sons of the prophet who were from Jericho saw him. And they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Those sons of the prophets, those would be the seminary students of the day. That schools of the prophets in in Bethel and here in Jericho. and, And the students were called the sons of the prophets. And then they were watching from some distance when, when Elijah and Elisha had gone over the river Jordan. We don't know if, if they actually saw the chariot and, and the, the horses of fire. Maybe they had seen the whirlwind that took Elijah into heaven. But, but even before that, they had known Elijah's going to be taken away. They, they had said to Elisha, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know that. But now Elisha came back with the mantle of Elijah. And they had seen him striking the water. 
And maybe they had even heard him cry, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And they'd seen the waters parting and Elisha crossing over. The first miracle that Elisha performed. And, and this first one, like all the other ones, are going to prove that, yes, Elisha is God's prophet. And the word of the Lord is true. That's the purpose of all the miracles in the Bible. The word of the Lord is true. They saw it now. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they recognize that Elisha is now the chief prophet of the day. And they show great respect and reverence for him because he is a prophet. They came to him and they bowed themselves to the ground before him. In those days, that was how you showed respect to a person. You, you would bow down on the ground before that person. Not to worship the person, but to show the greatest respect for that person's office. And yet there's something sadly lacking here because they really don't believe him. They say to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Let them go and search for your master. Maybe the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and thrown him on a mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. The evidence was there. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. But they don't take his word for it. They persist on urging him. And 50 men go and search for three days. And they come back with no body. And Elisha says, as it were, I, I told you so. Did I not say to you, do not go? Yes, the sons of the prophets know that the spirit of Elijah is now on Elisha. And spirit here does not mean their character. They have very, very different characters, actually. But the spirit of Elijah is the Holy Spirit of God. In the New Testament, he's called the Spirit of Christ. And yes, because of the Holy Spirit of Elisha, of Elijah, Elisha would have the same zeal for God's word and God's kingdom and God's people as Elijah had. And with a double portion of the Holy Spirit, Elisha will do twice as many miracles as Elijah did. They were both prophets of the Lord. And yet their nature and the character of their ministries was so different. Elijah was mainly a messenger of judgment. You know, he came to Ahab and said, you are the one who's troubling Israel. He called down fire from heaven on, on the mountain. Elisha was a very gentle and kind influence on Israel. Elijah came like John the Baptist. Elisha came more like the Lord Jesus. Elijah was, was a, like Martin Luther, had a fiery character, and, and, and he was headstrong. And Elisha was more like, like Philip Melanchthon, Luther's gentle companion. Elijah was a man of the desert. Elisha more a man of the city. Elijah lived a very lonely life. And Elisha mixed with the people. He came eating and drinking. Elijah's first miracle was to, to call for a stop to the rain. 
And Elisha's first miracle was to heal the waters at Jericho. Elisha often reminds us of the Lord Jesus. He does so many miracles of mercy and so few of judgment. He reminds us of the anointing of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's the ministry of Elisha. And just like the Lord Jesus Christ, Elisha is so often in private prayer, calling on on his Father in heaven. Well, Elisha begins with the Lord, because the Lord began with Elisha. That's the result of, of receiving the same Holy Spirit as Elijah had. Elisha is dependent on the Spirit of God, just like Elijah had been. And that's the same thing today still. Every faithful minister of the gospel realizes his dependence on the Holy Spirit. Your pastor needs the Holy Spirit in preparing sermons and in preaching sermons. Your pastor strives to to bring the word as clearly as possible to your ears. But that's as far as he can bring it. He's 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit to bring it home to our hearts. In every aspect of the ministry, we are desperately dependent on the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Every office bearer, every believer in his right place knows, I need this Holy Spirit. And I need his blessing. Well, Elisha begins his ministry dependent on the Spirit of God and and proclaiming the word of the Lord. That's become so obvious in this miracle that he performs next. Elisha spent some time in Jericho at the school of the prophets. Maybe he was one of their visiting professors. And now the men of the city, they show that they know that the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They said to Elisha, please notice... The situation of the city is pleasant, as as you can see. Jericho is a beautiful city with excellent scenic surroundings, with fertile soil, with the best crops in the land, with fig trees and palm trees. It's called the city of palms even today. There's wheat and flowers and plants of all kinds. At least that's how it used to be. Jericho is a very famous city. Remember, children, that's the first city that the Jewish spies came to in the promised land. And and Rahab hid them on the roof. It's the first city that's taken by the Israelites after they marched around it. And the walls came tumbling down. And 500 years later, some of those walls were rebuilt by somebody called Hiel. And it cost him the lives of both his sons who were sacrificed to idol gods when they rebuilt those walls. And yet despite all its rich history and its beautiful surroundings, the people were not happy. Jericho, so rich. So many natural advantages. Such a pleasant location, but it lacked one of the most important things that a city needs. It lacked good water. The situation of the city is pleasant, but the water is bad, they say, and the ground is barren. 
So yes, this, this place is a beautiful place, but there's a but. But the water is evil. The ground is, is miscarrying. So beautiful Jericho with its bad water and its barren land is not happy at all. And it's a picture of so many places in this world today. Perhaps much beauty all around. Beautiful creation of the Lord and yet lacking the most necessary matter. Reminds me of, of Niagara Falls in Ontario. There's a city called Niagara Falls. And it's built right there at Niagara Falls. So the, the location of that city is beautiful. It's amazing. But those people are not happy. In, in Niagara Falls, you have the two largest casinos in Canada. And you have nightclubs and strip clubs and all kinds of filth. The situation of that city is so pleasant. But its waters are poisoned. The men of the city here in Jericho, they, they show great wisdom. They went to the man of God. You can be sure that over the years they, they've tried everything. They, they've now given up on the world's methods and the world's so-called wisdom. They've called in the experts and whatever they tried didn't fix the spring. And they saw that the Holy Spirit of the Lord is on Elisha and they knew Almighty God can help us and they turned to, to the Lord's representative on earth who's right there with them, Elisha. And how does he respond? Does he say to them, why are you coming to me? I'm not an expert on water purifying methods. I don't know how to do this. Or does he say, well, that's not really my problem. I don't live here. Or does he say to them, you people must have done some very wicked things to deserve this, this impure water spring. He doesn't say anything like that. He, he seizes the opportunity to direct them to the word of the Lord and to the Lord of the word. He says to them, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. This bowl would just be like, just like a soup bowl that we have. And, and he takes that. And think about that. He's going to put salt. What's he going to do with that? You read about people who are, who are um, drowning in, in the ocean. And they begin to drink salt water. And it will kill them. What's he going to do here? He's going to take that salt and put it in the water. You know that even today, water softeners use salt. Salt will purify water. He went out to the source of the water and he cast the salt in there and he said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. So you can just picture this. As, as he got this bowl of salt and, and he's pouring it in, into the spring, he begins to speak. As those salt kernels are falling into the water, Elijah is speaking. And what does he speak? He speaks the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. 
And he puts all the emphasis on the word of the Lord. Elisha does not want those people and us looking at that bowl and the salt or even the water. He doesn't want us looking at Elisha. It's not important what Elijah, Elisha does or says unless he can say, thus says the Lord. So from the very beginning of his ministry, he proclaims the word of the Lord. And what does he say? Thus says the Lord, I have healed these waters. Elisha speaks in the name of the Lord. The Lord has healed these waters. The Lord has made these evil waters healthy. Thus says the Lord, I, the Lord, have healed these waters. All the people's eyes are on Elisha. He's the one with the bowl in his hand. He's the one who's dumping the salt into the spring. He does the work. But Elisha says, no. Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. When the Lord heals water, it is healed. With even only one bowl of salt. Do you know that today? Outside of the village of Jericho, at the ruins of the old city, there is a water spring. They call it the fountain of Elisha. And that spring brings forth cool and sweet and pleasant water. And everything around it is green and lush. Thus says the Lord, I have healed these waters. Verse 22 tells us the water remains healed to this day. So that when it says in the Bible this day, it means the day that that was written. But it's true even to this day. Today. When the Lord heals the water, it is healed. 2,800 years ago, Elisha poured that salt into the spring and it's still healed. These days, if you have a water softener system, then you know you have to keep salt in it. It runs out eventually, but not there. One bowl of salt, and it is healed. So so there you have the beginning of Elisha's ministry. As the Lord's servant, he served Jehovah, the God of Elijah. He's dependent on the Holy Spirit. He's proclaiming the word of God over and over throughout his whole ministry. He will be saying, thus says the Lord. And that's still today too, when the preacher is the Lord's official, authoritative herald, proclaiming the word of the Lord. We don't want you to hear so much what we say. But thus says the Lord. And when we point you and direct you to the word of the Lord, then ultimately we will be directing you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the center. That's the focus of the whole word of the Lord. Elisha begins his ministry dependent on the Holy Spirit of the Lord, proclaiming the word of the Lord. And there's one more thing in this text. He does, begins his ministry being the salt of the earth. 
We may see this, this first miracle of Elisha as a kind of a parable. That, that bowl of salt reminds us of the gospel message, the word of truth. When that is cast into a diseased human heart, it heals and purifies its waters. And yet the effects of that gospel message is not worked by by natural actions. It's not worked by by what we do, what the preacher does or what what believers do, but but it's worked by the all-powerful operation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through human means. He uses Elisha's. But he himself is the converter. Conversion is the work of God. Its its effects are immeasurable and irreversible. Old things have passed away, says the Apostle Paul. All things have become new. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is sown in a sinner's heart and, and it begins to show and to grow. Think with me a few moments of some of the waters that need healing today. Think of the waters of sin in this world. Because sin is a universal flood. It comes from a contaminated spring. Think of the, the, the waters of the LGBTQ business. Oh, how they need healing. Think of the abortionists. How they need healing. But they're out there, aren't they? Outside there. What about in here? What about in here? Think with me of the corrupt springs of stream and of sin in our own personal lives. We believe our confessions when it says that we are prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor. Do we still believe? The Bible, when it says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. It's not just an Old Testament statement that's repeated in the New Testament. It's still true today. We have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Corrupt streams of sin in our personal lives. And even after receiving grace, maybe perhaps especially after receiving grace, we have to fight against our corrupt nature all our life long. Isn't that true, dear believers? Every time we thought we made a little progress, we see again more of our pride and our selfishness. Think of the corrupt springs of sin in our families. Original sin, we confess, pollutes our children, contaminates our children. And and every family here has such a stream. And it's not always openly displayed. In, In some of our families, there's a stream of unrighteousness. Or a stream of self righteousness. Maybe sometimes both. Think of the the family of the prodigal son. 
In the prodigal son, it was a stream of unrighteousness. In the older brother, it was a stream of self-righteousness. In the same family, streams perhaps of carelessness, of worldliness, becoming more and more like the world, living after the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, or materialism. Families where the main object seems to be just getting more and more stuff. Or going with the world's way of focusing on ourselves and streams of sin. It's so easy to give in and follow the worldly influences. They're so powerful and it often feels so good. Yes, corrupt streams of sin in in our individual hearts. In our families, what what about in our church? And I'm not picking on you because I asked these same questions last Sunday morning in Black Falls. Corrupt springs in the church. Yes, we may have a lovely church building. And and attendance may be very good, but are, are we just going through the motions? We're just here because that's what we do on Sunday morning. Or, beloved, is there this, this deep-seated love for Christ Jesus in our souls? And is there a deep-seated love for, for the Holy Word of God? Is there a deep-seated love for, for lost souls? Not only out there, but in here. Or is there so much focus on on what we are doing instead of on what Christ has done? Is there so much more emphasis on on what I feel and, and how I am feeling instead of what the Word of God says is truth? Are we putting more emphasis on what our favorite radio preacher says? Then on, thus says the Lord. Those are all streams of polluted sin that are in our hearts, in our families, in, in our churches. How, how in the world is that foul stream ever going to be purified? There's only one who can do it. Rules and regulations can't do it. Good intentions won't do it. But Jesus Christ is the great healer. He is the water of life. And maybe you're thinking, can that be for me too then? When all I've ever done and all I ever do is sin. How how is the Lord going to do that? Well, he does it. And he works through his word, always using his word, using the Bible. And just like Elisha cast salt into the spring at Jericho, so the Lord Jesus cast the purifying influence of the word of the Lord, applied by the Holy Spirit, into the polluted stream of our human lives. 
He comes with the law. And he works on our consciences and our hearts, alarming us with the fear of death and the terrors of judgment. And then by the gospel, he wins us over by a still small voice of kindness and love. And the Holy Spirit of Christ applies the, the balming gospel word of the Lord God Almighty to the wounded heart of a renewed sinner. And the Lord says, I have healed the water. You know that the Lord works this healing in his people by the Holy Spirit in his word. But he also works it through his people. Elisha was one of his people. And he works this through his people. Believers are, are to put forth a purifying influence in the world. In Matthew 5, Jesus says to his people, you are the salt of the earth. So if you're a believer, Jesus says to you, you are salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Then it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In those days and in that culture, if, if you had salt that had become too old and lost its flavor, you, they would throw it out on the road where people and horses walked and they would just be trampled underfoot. It was useless for anything else. That's what Jesus says it's like when, when his people lose their flavor. In the natural world, salt is the antidote against corruption. Your well water and your city water contain salt. It's a natural ingredient, it's the way God created it. The ocean is said at times to be the chemical bath of the world. And it is the salt in it that preserves it against corruption. It makes it a source of life. And what salt is to the sea and what salt was to the bad waters of Jericho, that's what believers are to be to the life of the world. That's why believers must not lose their flavor, otherwise they're, they're good for nothing. When we are exercising our influence on the world, the world cannot influence us. But when we are not exercising our influence on the world, the world will exercise its influence on us big time. The devil is very good at this. He's had lots of experience. Believers, you bring salt into all aspects of life. Married life. Family life. Church life. Work life societal life and we bring the salt of the teachings of the gospel of the Holy Spirit and of Christ Christians have have practical work to do against the corrupt streams every grain of salt has its influence no matter how small it is let there be no believer here who says I can't make any difference in this world 
Really? When the Lord Jesus Christ says to us, you are the salt of the earth? Go and be salt. There are many people all around us who never read a Bible, but who are reading us every day in our behavior and our lifestyles. We are to be true to our calling, to live as Christians. And then when, when we speak of the Lord, our words will not be empty or hypocritical. In all our business relations, let, let your, our Christian influence be felt. Your customers, your, your associates, know they are dealing with a Christian. I remember a poster when I was going to university to become a teacher. One of the posters said, what you do speaks so loudly that they don't hear what you say. What you do speaks so loudly that they don't hear what you say. Is, is what you are doing speaking so loudly that people don't hear what you're saying anymore. Especially when you try to speak of the word of God. Young people, wherever you work or whomever you meet, they know you're a Christian and they're watching. And some of them will hate you for it. And maybe you think, now how in the world... Am I, as a young person, going to make a difference? Maybe you think, I, I can't convince anyone to believe the gospel of Jesus. I can't persuade anyone to believe this. When it pleased the Lord to save me, at first I spent a lot of time with my uncle asking questions and, and learning from him and, and he, he was talking one day about sharing the gospel with, with other people around you and I said to him but Uncle Joe don't you know that you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink Oh, he said, I know that saying, and, and you and I are prime examples of it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But, he said, you can put so much salt in his diet that he becomes so thirsty that he must drink. And that salt is the word of the Lord. But they won't hear it from you unless your life shows it too. <clears throat> we had profession of faith recently up in Black Falls. Three young people did it. And um, our prayer was that they were making a credible profession. Meaning that what they said with their mouths would be matched by their whole lifestyle. That that would not be different. 
That's what it must be if you're to be salt of the earth. And whatever you speak must match what your life shows. No, no matter what our vocation is, whether you work at home, on the farm, or at school, or in an office, or on a job site, if, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are ordained. Jesus said so. You are the salt of the earth. You're ordained as a, as a salt shaker. So a Christian carpenter is an ordained carpenter. A Christian farmer is an ordained farmer. A Christian truck driver is an ordained truck driver. And you go on with that list. Your customers, your employees, your employer will know that you have been with Christ. That's what they said of the, of the apostles, right? These men, these are uneducated men. But everybody knew they had been with Christ. Do people say that about me and, and you during the week? You must have been with Christ. And how, how can we be with Christ? As to be much in the Word of God and to be much in prayer. And I urge you, beloved, to intentionally, in your conversations, redirect it to the Word of God. Redirect those conversations to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you're not called to save the whole world. One person at a time. As salt of the earth, we want others to know what the Word of God says. As salt of the earth, we want others to know who Jesus Christ is. And as you tell others of, of your blessed Savior, Christ Jesus, and, and of the sweetness of the word of the Lord for you, then you can invite them and tell them like the psalmist did, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't he? My brother sent me a picture. He's a truck driver, and he took a picture of a truck beside him in a lineup somewhere, and it said on the side of it, Ain't God good? Isn't he? Isn't he worth telling others about? Come and see that the Lord is good. You can tell them. You, you still need Jesus Christ every day because you still sin every day. You need to come back to him over and over. And believers need this ongoing healing of, of our waters too. We need to be purified from sin's corrupting influence. We're not like that spring at Jericho where once it was healed, it just poured forth pure water. We still pour forth a lot, a lot of times impure water and unholy thoughts. We need to be purified again and again. How is that done? By using the salt of the divine word of God. Taking in that word day by day. Prayerfully, carefully reading our Bibles. Listening to sermons. I'm sure many of you drive many miles or to, to or from work or wherever you are. There are tons and tons of sermons to listen to. You can do this. 
reading good books. Let the word of the Lord work its purifying, preserving influence on your spiritual life. Keep your mind more and more in contact with the influence of, of, of the holy word of God that can only be, that can only be if you swim, as it were, in that word every day. And you soak it up. And you become saturated with the word of the Lord. Believers, you are the salt of the world. Now let's go and be that salt. We are salt, but now we have to be that salt. It's, how do we do that? Just, just one example. Is there strife between you and someone else? Between brothers, fellow Christians. That then being salt means to seek to be at peace and to, to cultivate peace with all men. That's one of the marks of being a child of God. Jesus said that blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. The Lord Jesus Christ says to all his disciples, to believers today too, you are the salt of the earth. Do you know of anyone among your acquaintances who's going down the broad way to destruction? Anyone of whom you know that if, if he dies today, he's in hell. You know anyone like that? How can you be salt to that person? You love that person. And in love, you bring or give him a message from the word of God. Spoken in kindness. It's not your job to heal the waters. But it is our job to cast in the salt. And we do that always by bringing the word of the Lord to bear on every situation. And as we do that, we are praying to the Lord Jesus Christ to bless our efforts so that we can, as it were, hear him say, thus says the Lord, I have healed these waters too. Thus says the Lord, I have healed those waters too. Can that be for you too? Most certainly. Most certainly. The salt of the gospel says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Children, how do we come to the Lord? In prayer, we get on our knees and, and we say to the Lord, I am so sorry for my sins. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I don't know how to go on. I need help. 
You know what the Lord answers people who come to him that way? He answers with three little words. I forgive you. I have healed these waters. Amen. Amen.